Wings Over Britain is proudly supported by the New Zealand Bomber Command Association, telling the stories of Bomber Command and the New Zealanders who served. Wings Over Britain and the Wings Over New Zealand show greatly acknowledges the fantastic support from Peter and Carola Wheeler of the Hauraki Brewing Company. And we'd like to acknowledge the awesome support from Mel and Kev Salisbury and Aviation Tours NZ. And a huge thanks to all the others out there who kindly supported the tour and the series. Without them, the series wouldn't have been made. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to Wings Over Britain. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. This is the first episode of the Wings Over Britain sub-series of the Wings Over New Zealand show. Before we get into the first episode, we're just going to hear a quick word from one of the Wings Over Britain sponsors, Mel Salisbury of Aviation Tours NZ. Here's Mel. So, I want to welcome Mel Salisbury to the show. Hi. Hiya. Tell me about aviation tours. Oh, well, for the last 13 years, I've been running tours for aviation enthusiasts with my husband to the UK and Australia. I'm a travel broker with travel managers who are part of the flight centre group. So we are IATA bonded. And we usually have one trip to the UK each year and one or two to Australia, uh, just taking in all the big air shows. Okay. What have you got planned for this year? Uh, well, we took a group to Avalon in March, which was great. And our UK trip this year is Spitfires and Sports Cars, which departs on the 28th of August. And we've got four major events included in that. We've got the Victory Show, which is a huge 1940s weekend with military vehicles, memorabilia, reenactments and an air show as well. Shuttleworth Air Show is always a favourite. Goodwood Revivals, an amazing vintage motorsport weekend. And at Duxford, we have the Battle of Britain air show. So it's 24 days escorted from Auckland, but people can join from anywhere in New Zealand or overseas. But this year, we've got people joining in Sydney and some meeting us at Heathrow. Uh, but most of us start in Auckland. Uh, we're also visiting military, motoring and aviation museums and have plenty of time to enjoy the towns we stay in as well. Um, we're going to the wind tunnels at Farnborough. Uh, we've got a boat trip out to the Moundsville Forts off the coast of South End. We'll be at Brooklands and we're heading over to airframe assemblies on the Isle of Wight where they're restoring the typhoon. So it's quite a comprehensive itinerary. It's got more Spitfires than you can imagine seeing in 24 days. And you can even get a flight in one, Biggin uh, Hill, while we're there. Um, we've actually got somebody doing a flight in the world's only two-seater hurricane based at White Waltham. So that's going to be pretty amazing to watch. Oh, awesome. So how much is this tour? Uh, what does it cost? It's $13,995 twin share, including flights. And we can adjust the costs up or down if people would, for example, like their own room or if they want to book their own flights. And there's full flexibility for any additional arrangements if they want to stay on in the UK, for example. Um, it's a good three and a half to four star tour. All the arrangements are made and our guests can sit back, relax and enjoy with fellow enthusiasts. Our hotels are chosen for location, comfort and character. And we have a luxury coach booked with a Guild of British Coach Operators member. Um, and we have gold passes at all the air shows excellent so why should people uh come with you rather than do this by themselves well it, 
it's just a whole lot of fun traveling with a group. There's so many interesting people. And I think if independent travels a bit outside your comfort zone, we just make it really easy. Um, we've had people with us that have previously only ever been to Australia and couldn't imagine doing a trip like this without the support of tour hosts and their fellow travellers. Everything we do is with comfort in mind. We have lots of repeat guests, which is always a good sign. And why wouldn't you let someone else do all the hard work and just enjoy it? Well, that's true. Uh, you you uh, have done a lot of these uh, tours successfully over the years. Um, why do you do it? It's just an absolute pleasure being able to share these places um, and experiences and having guests say thank you so much for bringing us here or this trip was one of the highlights of my life and we've had past guests who are now friends that have thanked us for giving them wonderful memories now they can't do the long haul travel anymore you know they can just sit back and and enjoy those memories and it's quite cool taking people to places they've seen on TV and documentaries or the other way around and um, see places on TV having been there. It's very rewarding. And how do people find out more? All the info's on our website, aviationtoursnz.com. And you can see our past tours and the itinerary for Spitfires and sports cars on there. We're always happy to have a chat. So just call me anytime, Melanie, on 021-076-8308 or email if you prefer. Uh, we've only got a couple of places left this year, so be quick if you want to join us. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Mel. You're welcome. <laughs> and now onto the main feature of this episode. Karen Lear and I visited Ross Boyens, who was a Kiwi that joined the Royal Air Force and became a Harrier pilot ending up flying in combat in the Falklands War. He later went on to become a Red Arrows pilot. Here's Ross's story. Can you give me your full name, uh, your date of birth and where you were born? Yeah, uh, Alan Ross Boynes, but I'm called Ross. Um, I'm a 1950 and Pahia New Zealand. Right. Okay. Konini is the actual place. Okay. Um, so, how... what? Did you grow up there? Yeah, yeah. My dad was a farmer in the Waikato uh, tea row just south of Cambridge there. Oh, right. Yeah. So I'm a, uh, he went overseas. We went with him. He was a food and agricultural organization of the UN. And we traveled everywhere. Started off in Ethiopia, Sudan, South America, lots of places. But I went to boarding school in Paul's Collegiate in Hamilton. Yes, okay. And uh, went to Massey University for a couple of years. Didn't really enjoy it. Well, I enjoyed it, probably too much. <laughs> and the uh, my dad was an ex-Mohawk uh, hurricane pilot in Burma, India during the war. Right. So he flew Mohawks. Um, and uh, later on, they got the hurricane with a 20 millimeter cannon in it. And they that did a far better job than the Mohawk. Right. So he did closer support with the Chindits and all that for two and a half years. That was his posting. Yep. Not just a few months here, there, now. It was two and a half years he came back alive. Crashed two or three times, but survived. Um, so I had that in my blood a bit, I suppose. Went to uni, didn't really. And then the A4s, actually, when they got them from the US, they attacked the tower in Palmerston North. And I thought, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this university crap. So I joined the Air Force, got through the train, through the application process at uh, Hobsonville, went, went to Wigram for basic training, but I was streamed RAF because I wanted to join the RAF rather than the RNZF. And that was the leftover World War II. They had the Commonwealth entrance scheme where they still recruited from the Commonwealth. Um, in the, it stopped in the mid 70s, I think, late 70s, but I was recruited in 72. Okay, so at that stage, we would just been getting the Strike Masters and the no, no. are going out, or no, the sky, the skyhooks were in, yeah. the, the cameras had all gone, the, the strike, strike masters hadn't arrived yet, okay, and they only had they had the Harvard still going at Wigram, 
There's a few vampires running around as well, yeah. but they were just phased out. And then the A4 took over all the all the fast jet training. After that was, I think they got the Mackie jet in, didn't they? Yeah, that was uh, 91. 91, but after that, they must, yeah. I can't remember what, no. I can't remember what they were using for the fast jet training then. Uh, yeah, from 1970, I think it was probably late 72 onwards, that was the Strike Master. Trimaster might have been and in there already. Yeah. Skyhawk, yeah. Um, so, where did your training in New Zealand go up to before you had to leave? Purely officer training at Wigram, and I did about ten hours on the air tourer. They were like phasing the Harvard out, so I missed out on the Harvard, and so I left there at the end of '72 as a as an acting a pilot officer, and went to Henlow in the UK, which is a it's a professionally qualified and re-entrant course, and I joined the team, the course that I was going to start flying training with, okay. and I joined them there. And then we went chipmunks at Church Fenton, early 73, after that uh, up to Linton and Ouse to fly the Mark III and the Mark V Jet Provost, then to Valley on, on the Nat, fast jet Nat, then to... Brody, RF Brody on the Hunter, doing the weapons unit. And then from there I was posted to the OCU, the conversion unit, onto the Harrier. This was mid-70, uh, early 75, yeah, early okay. 75. And then from once graduating out of the OCU, I went to four squadron Harriers in Germany, West Germany, of course, at Wildenroth. Okay. And that eventually we moved up to Goodersloe, Closer to the, uh, the the German border, east-west border. That was my first tour. Okay, so was the Harrier something that you were striving for? Uh, was that your first choice? To, uh, to oh yeah, there? yeah. Well, it was relatively new into service. Yeah. Um, yeah. The options were everything. We had four hundred. The RAF had four hundred fighter bombers in those days. Four hundred. Yeah. So it was the the Jaguar was just coming into service. And the Harriers were four squadron Harriers, seven squadrons of Jaguars, Buccaneers, Lightnings, Phantoms. Fantastic. Wow. 400 fighter bombers. Now we're left with, what, 120? If that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's, and then we've got big trouble in the usual, usual spot. Yeah. Nothing changes. Yeah. Same old stuff gets repeated, repeated, and then yes. back into the same old shit. Yeah, and then from uh, West Germany, from four squadron, I was then posted to one squadron, Harriers at uh, Wittering, yeah. outside Peterborough there, and I did my tour there, and then I was actually then posted to instructing on the Hawk, okay. but of course just at the end of the tour I got to my RF Chivner on the Hawk and then the Falklands War kicked off, right. so they said, come back. <laughs> So and then, but initially I didn't, I didn't go to the uh, Falkland straight off. I was the second tranche of aircraft that went down. Okay. Initially took a whole bunch to Ascension Island with the air-to-air refueling. We took uh, because we needed to reinforce the ones that are already on board. Well, the, we needed to reinforce the Sea Harriers, and do the ground attack work. And then they were. We landed them on Atlantic Conveyor vertically into the hold there. And we got, I think we could put four or six, six in there, I can't remember, into the hold with the Sea Harriers, with Chinooks, lots of Chinooks. And then they set sail and we went back to get more Harriers as well. So we had to wear refueled with the next batch to come down. And then we waited, and then we did the air-to-air refueling straight onto the deck of Hermes during the war. Okay. Before we took four Harriers down, uh, eight and a half hours or something, about five brackets of uh, Victor tankers. Yeah. We had, I think, 16 Victor tankers to get two Harriers to Hermes. Wow. Because they had to, they had to take go out and then refuel each other, and then. When they turned around to go back, the Victors had to be refueled on the way back with a bracket to get them back to Ascension Island. Wow. So the whole operation, I think, was 16 Victor tankers for two Harriers. Wow. 
Yeah, that's a, uh, just the logistics alone of organising all that. And well, that, that's right, the brackets. I mean, we had five brackets to, to plug in to refuel. And then a couple of hours out, they just said, well, here's a heading, go to the, go to the ship. We said, okay. And we didn't believe his heading. The navigator gave us a heading, and it was way out. Weird. Our inertials had toppled and gone everywhere, so we just had dead reckoning. And we actually got it pretty dead on. Okay. Um, landed during a uh, Exocet morning. So oh. the Etondards out of uh, Argentina had launched and they were supposedly coming in. So it was interesting. So how, how far out was the ship from there? Well, it took, it was about 200 miles at least, two to 300 miles, because they were trying to be, stay outside the range of the Exocet. The Atondards were the Exocet missiles. Yeah. Okay. So they tried to keep as far further east as possible, because they, they, they were the ex, even the Atondards were refueling each other and then coming around from the top, from the north, coming right. from the north. Right. So, uh, yeah, but I I got there on the ship with only a couple of weeks, two or three weeks to run to the war. It was all coming well. The most of the, uh, well, uh, it was still, Bluff Cove haven't happened. There was a shambles there. But we dropped cluster, probably not allowed to say cluster bombs, but I did. <laughs> cluster bombs and uh, rocketed on Mount Longdon, Mount Tumbledown, and uh, outside Stanley. Okay. Oh, right. Well, there were a couple of howitzers giving it um, sticks, so... We were trying to find two houses dug in outside Stanley, giving the uh, mount the, the tumble down and um, uh, what's the other? Uh, seven sisters was it seven five sisters or something like that. Okay, but whether we hit anything is another story because it's really, you know, very difficult. We didn't the the Harrier the inertial was pretty good when it was on land, but at sea you couldn't get a, a good alignment out of the inertial. So most of the time we were just uh, basic basic heading, map and stopwatch to get to wherever we were going. Had, had, had you done much training with uh, the idea of operating from a ship nope. before? So that was all new to you? Zero. I think we'd done, I'd done one, there's a ramp down at Yeovilton uh, that I think I went off once. So we never did anything. We didn't have time. There was no, I mean we were, Firing practice, we're firing sidewinders, which we'd never done before. Right. Dropping okay. cluster bombs, which we had simulated before, but we never. But that was over in the one of the ranges, and then um, I said, "Well, what you go. But it was. We weren't prepared for a war in the South Atlantic. No, no. Well, that's we were all we were all trained for the for the um, east-west conflict, the Cold War. With the East Germans and the Russians, and uh, there was no preparation whatsoever for anything in the South Atlantic. Did, did that um, the fact that you're basically learning and training as you're in action? Did that have any consequences, or did everything sort of work as you hoped? Well, I, I had two tours on Harrier, so I knew how to operate the aircraft. I knew how, how to how to look after yourself in it, but. I think the worst thing was the inertial navigation system that, and the weapon aiming computer just wouldn't work. It just didn't work. It couldn't align it. Once you, if you can't align the inertial with uh, north-south and get the references, then and the computer just gives up. Okay. So, and you were literally using reversionary mode, which was World War II stuff. You've got to dial off, uh, predict what the wind will be and say, okay, yeah, well, I'm thinking about 20 knots across wind and maybe a bit of headwind, so I'm going to dial in so much on my fixed cross and then hope it's about right. So it was, that, was the, that was the thing that you couldn't get the inertials aligned. This, the Sea Harrier had an inertial that could align itself up. And, of course, it was just map and stopwatch for navigation. Okay. We didn't use anything else. There was nothing. Our navigation computer was just so showing some part of the South Atlantic, and it was just a big fishbowl. Nothing in it really. Wow. But okay. 
but the guys, uh, the guys before me had the biggest thing. They did a good job on the Argentinians dropping cluster bombs and stuff on the um, goose green. Uh, was the Battle of Goose Green? They did a good job there. But one got chopped down, but he survived. And lots of bullet holes and things. But Harrier wasn't very, it wasn't protected. But uh, they, uh, we only lost, we lost a couple. One for, was shot down, but he survived. The others were holes through fuel pipelines and stuff. So one guy had to eject beside the ship. Yeah. Um, that's about all. Oh, one got shot down. Well, the first guy, Jeff Glover, was the POW. There. He got shot down over West Falklands by a British-made blowpipe missile fired by the Argentinians, of course. Wow. So his war was two sorties, and he was POW. He still around, played golf with them all the time. Okay. Yeah. How was he treated as a prisoner? Very good. But he didn't know what was going on. Yeah. But he was looked at. He had a really bad shoulder injury, but he was well looked at. He, you know, he, I don't think he was really interrogated, but that's a, I know, they were pretty nice. That's good. Most of them, it was a stupid war, you know, as yeah. we know, you know, but, but crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the average day like? How, how often would you be flying? Um, well, we were all daylight, daylight, early morning. We had a problem with the, the Navy, it's their war, so... We had a, supposed to have one of our uh, our officers there tasking, sending the the mission down to us, so that we'd be there ready to go immediately. And some of the missions coming up from the SAS SBS was the boss would get it and said, "Well, this is great. This is a six-hour-old request for air support. Six hours." So the Navy, oh, we don't want to do that one. The Navy were bloody hopeless. Absolute. Not the whole Navy, but the tasking cell for the Navy was appalling. And there's lots of books being written on it as well. Mishandling. And and our guy who was supposed to task us was was thrown out of the room and said, no, no, we're running the show. It's a Navy show. We don't need the Air Force in. It was crazy. So we missed so many targets by not having um, being able to task ourselves, really, into the the, uh, I mean, uh, one day there was, I think, four Picaras, six Picaras on a strip in West Falkland, perfect target, and they were never attacked. Right. So, uh, not good. But there's so many books. I've got six or eight books on the, on the bloody men, the Navy. The Navy pilots were great. They're all, because we all flew together, we knew each other. Half, half of the Navy guys were Air Force. Right. Because yes. they didn't have the experience. To, and we had to bolster their squadrons up. Yeah. In fact, I think they shot, the Air Force shot more A-4s and uh, Mirages down than, than the Navy did. And they were a bit pissed off about that. But. So did you actually come up against um, Argentinian aircraft and no. get into the no. combat? Were they, was that all over by the time you got there? It was mainly all over, but there was still the threat. And they, but... Um, They'd, most of them had been shot down by then. And the Yeton Dards were still a threat, but they were coming in way north, and we were never tasked to go air to air. We were purely ground attack. Yeah. And that's our tasking was just ground attack. So we do a, come off the ship, do a high, drop down over East Falkland, and then follow uh, low level, uh, you know, 50 feet or whatever, as low as you could go, because the only threat we had then was... Uh, was any small arms really, or the super? They had a very good Roland surface-to-air missile, which was a German thing they bought years ago with a super Fledermaus mouse radar, which was very good at tracking. The Roland was shot down the guy over Goose Green, the Kiwi, part me Kiwi, but Brit, uh, Robin, uh, Taylor, Robin, Robin Taylor, yeah. Taylor, yeah, Robin. I think it's Robin Taylor. He was shot down, but his he didn't have an aircraft with a radar warning receiver in it. Ted, my mate, was behind him, and he was he got locked up by this radar, and he was maneuvering. But um, Taylor, no, it's not Robin Taylor. You know, he was not maneuvering, and this the Super Flader Mouse radar locked on him, and the uh, 
and the it fired just triple A. Took okay. them out. Well, okay. Very, very good system. Well. Mm. I'm seeing Mike, I think it's Robin Tan. Yeah. I just oh, I can't remember. I, I no, should no, know no, this. I know, don't I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then at the but what have yeah. So it was, I was thinking I was there two or three weeks. I only did about six or eight missions, and there was some work. And then we were, we had the strip at San Carlos by then, and we were putting the Harriers vertically landing there and just using the strip. So we were on immediately, it's called scramble on alert. So we, if we needed, we were just five, ten minutes from the battlefield. Right. But, okay. uh, so that was, made a huge difference as yeah, well. And we had that protected by rapier missiles. And we had, uh, the, you could upload your weapons there, so they got enough cluster bombs in and enough 30 mil cannon. So that was all uploaded there, which made a hell of a difference. So you'd spend a couple of days just on the strip, waiting. And, and uh, that's how I think we learned, yeah, it was all over. It was, yeah, it was, there was one trip where I was going, and they were retreating at this stage. And the whole of the Argentinian army were, more, were marching, well, scrambling back down this road. Yeah. And we came along this road about 50 feet. And I mean, if I'd fired level strafe, I would have, you know, it was too late. They all, you think, what are these guys doing? They were all peeling into the ditches as we went down, but we didn't. Yeah. They're all, it was all over. But it was one of those days where you think, they're just peeling into the ditches as we flew down. And uh, no one firing at us. And then we dropped a couple of cluster bombs, but uh, it was sort of weird that day. We to see them, there it was all over. And they, I think it was the next day or the day after they surrendered. Right. Right. Huh. After that, I was back on ship for a while. And then we had to go, and just once they sorted the runway out at Stanley, we then went, took the Harriers into um, onto Stanley itself off the ship yeah. and that was pretty miserable because the weather was midwinter yeah. and it was uh, 12 by 12 tents Karen's probably seen the inside of a few times yeah. and it was horizontal driving sleet and snow from the south oh. and for 12 by 12 tents uh, so we did that for three or four weeks I think and then we were, one of the great days was um, Getting inside a Herc with the with the tank inside the uh, Bombay, sorry, not the Bombay, inside the cargo hold, and with my feet up about here, going back to Ascension Islands, on a twelve-hour trip or something. Mighty happy to be out there. Yeah, right. That was uh, not well. It was a crummy. It was a mess, the whole place. And yeah, back to UK. Uh, no, I was supposed to be posted back to the Harrier Squadron, but I just said to the driver who was taking me, I said, I'm going to back to Chivna. My <laughs> wife and yeah. brand new daughter were there. I went back to Chivna and I thought, oh, well, they want me to say, oh, you're coming back to start the course on the Hawk again as an instructor. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, the Air Force found me about a month later. You're supposed to be on one squadron. Harriers and I said, "Oh, really? <laughs> oh, well, I'm here now." And they said, "I'll oh, just stay there, and that's all right. Thank God for that." <laughs> but it took them a month to find me. Just about now, that time I was on the staff, and so uh, <laughs> so I did two years there, and then I went on to the red. I got selected for the Red Arrows, end of '83, and did two two tours, two years to two and a half years with the Red Arrows until. End of eighty-five. End of eighty-five. Okay. Um, what did I do then? Ah, I was supposed to. You know, Air New Zealand was sort of recruiting. I was coming out of the Air Force anyway. I wasn't a career officer, but also at the same time, Cathay Pacific was recruiting. Yeah. Air New Zealand then said we don't need any pilots like they did regularly. Yeah. Any anymore, and uh, so I said, right, well, I'm off to Cathay Pacific, and that's where I was for. 23 years or something. Where did you end up based? Hong Kong. Right. Yeah, Hong Kong. Yeah. With a bit of New Zealand and a bit back in Europe, but okay. uh, generally. 
on the on the jumbo on the seven four seven two hundred three hundred and four hundred. Yep. It's all over flu. And he's working on a four engine jet aircraft built in America. Thank you very much. Is it Boeing? Yeah, mm -hmm. Boeing C seventeen. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Serviceability, no problem. Yeah. What are the what's driving those Pratt? The um, GEs. Pragmatics, yeah. yeah. And then the, the, my last career job was I went to the D Dubai Air Wing on the Royal Flight for Sheikh Mac Maktoum of Dubai. Okay. Because uh, at 55 you were sort of tentatively, that was it, because the rules were then 55 yes. retirement. Yeah. And then and they said, but you can fly freighters. You're an old bugger at 55, so go and fly a freighter. And I thought, oh, okay. And this job came up in the Middle East, and I went to fly for him for three years, okay. uh, which was great. You know, based in Dubai, he had, um, as you do if you're the Sheikh Mohammed of Dubai, you have five jumbo jets. Wow. Plus a whole bunch of helicopters and everything else for his, one for his horses and the rest for his wives, etc., etc. He was a nice guy to work for. But uh, yeah. So would that, would that job mean that there's a lot of time that you're not flying? It's yeah. Just, just on call. Yeah, that's that's yeah. one of the downsides. You of couldn't really plan ahead for what you want to do. If nope, nope, no. It, it wasn't too bad actually. That I mean, an airline roster was pretty much the same. Yes. Yeah, you couldn't. You could try and figure out what you're going to do the next month, but yeah. uh, you had to wait for the roster to come. And you could request a senior got in like an Air New Zealand and BA, you could request what you wanted to do. But in Cathay, it was basically that wheel printer. You can request the old trip, yeah. but basically that's your roster for the next month right. as it comes out, sort of two weeks before the start of the month. So okay. it was quite restricted on planning your life. Just going back, uh, a couple of questions that come to me. You were uh, an ex one squadron Harrier pilot that was called back into the squadron, mm. and there was others who got caught. I know there was instructors and that that mm. got called in. Did they also call in ground crew to go? Or uh, I think no. I think they just used the squadron ground crews. We had one squadron ground crew with us on board yeah. the ship, and none of them. We took all our own armourers and engine engineers and avionics guys. Okay. Because the avionics guys gave up. On Trying to align this thing, it was just like this. Yeah. Armors were just superb because they were messing up. I've never worked on the deck before with bloody horizontal driving sleet and rain and ship going and yeah. trying to load bombs, thousand pounders and um, cluster bombs on in all sorts of weather. Terrible. Especially when they haven't been trained for it or oh, no. had no, any no, experience. They were absolutely superb. Armourers, all the refuelers, anyone working on the aircraft were just, uh, and it was pretty crap weather. Yeah. We couldn't fly, there was a couple of days we couldn't fly, but the weather was so bad. But I remember going up onto Hermes deck and it was just bearing its nose into this big sea and then coming, this is an aircraft carrier. Yeah. And yeah. broadsword, which was actually a broadsword, had a Kiwi captain on it. Oh. It had the um, uh, the Sea Wolf or the Sea Pup, the best, the better of the uh, air, surf to air missiles on it. He was Kiwi captain. Okay, I've forgotten his name. And his whole ship broadsword was a big Type Forty One or Type Forty Two destroyer, and it would just just about disappear into the waves and come out. And that's a huge ship. Wow. The weather was unbelievable. And these big, big carriers were still, and of course the green water would come over and cover all the owl harriers that were tied down on deck with a few sea harriers uh, strapped down and then off the bay and then the next one would come up and bury itself in the sea. Were those um, RF harriers absolutely naked after Chucked that? away, yep. Yeah, I was going to say, because they, be, they wouldn't be prepared for naval eyes. No. No, the sea areas, I think they probably chucked most of theirs away as well. Okay. They were they were hopeless. Just weren't made for it. Yeah. Even in the cockpit, there's a bit of salt water in a cockpit and uh, you know, was, they would try and seal it up as best they could, but they were you know, when it's pressurized it's sealed of course, but but it was just sea water 
and so they didn't last. They went on board the ship. Um, from the ship, they went to into Stanley on land, but I think they didn't come back. Right. They were just uh, just uh, broken up, I think, and oh, okay. stripped stripped to parts. Yeah. The engines would have been well. Even the engines were seawater or throughout. I, I think they were not yeah. refurbished back in the UK, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's actually fascinating. I I'd never really thought about what happened to any of those aircraft after this, mm. but they, yeah, weather like that. Yeah, I think it wouldn't last long. The Sea Harriers would have come back, but I think most of ours never never came back. Yeah. Would in in parts. We use the parts as parts. What was it like? Just life on the ship outside of the flying. Was that? Well, not having not being used to it. I, I was on the floor of a because they'd put everyone up above the sea, up above the water level, because these exosets hit. They planned to hit just, just above the water line, or just on the water line. So everyone was moved up, uh, except the engineers, of course, they were running, keeping the steam turbines yeah. going and everything else. But So I was on the floor on a stretcher for the, what, my time there, in a, in a water, in, Sharing a room with another, I think he was an engineering officer actually. Um, I never saw him because his shift was night time and I was daytime and uh, we never hardly ever saw each other. Water room was great. I mean, plenty of, we didn't, the Navy was sort of restricted on them how many beers you could have, but we didn't sort of bother with that too much. <laughs> and uh, it was, yeah, it was well supplied, well stocked with everything. Yeah, the uh, they used to do the uh, at sea refueling quite often when they were further off when there was no threat and the sea state was okay, and you'd get reinforced by helicopters coming in, um, not Chinooks of course because most of them had gone down except for one had gone to the bottom of the ocean with Atlantic conveyor, and uh, the Navy uh, Sea Kings were re resupplying the ship all the time. So it was pretty well okay. Okay. Mm. And just, um, you, you mentioned about when you first took the um, first Harrier and landed on the Atlantic conveyor, you went straight into the hold, flew, flew into the hold, was it? No. Oh, yeah, onto the, yeah, mm. onto Atlantic conveyor, yeah. We had a whole lot of containers, uh, except for the entry exit point uh, lined either side of the their open cargo hold because it was a big open cargo front to it. Yeah. And, um, but we had a pad right at the front that you could uh, you'd got it, put it down vertically into the middle of the ship and then taxied a little bit away from the neck because the next guy was coming in and after you. And then they, they stashed them at the back with the Chinooks, with the Sea Harriers, and um, covered them in pull well sealed them up tried to seal them up for the weather yeah. so and that's one of course we lost the landed conveyor mm, yeah, with the uh, exocet as well but it, they've got the sea harrier the, the sea harriers and the harriers had got out off the off the deck before that hit right. except the chinooks got they were, yeah. we got one chinook out and that was uh, I don't know how many went down the rest of the chinooks went down okay. with Huge amount of other stuff. Yeah. Massive amount of weapons, bombs, rockets, anything you can imagine, radars, surface to air missile systems. Uh, I mean, so much stuff on board. It was, yeah. wow. it was a good target for them. Absolutely. Uh, just that um, when you're actually landing on that, it must have been fairly nerve wracking to not stuff it up because wouldn't it, if, if you had one accident, that stuff's not oh, yeah, yeah, the, the whole thing would be. You didn't want to screw up. No. <laughs> the whole, that whole plane would be out the window. <laughs> you didn't want to screw up. Yeah. I watched a couple of the guy behind me coming in. I was up on the deck watching him come in, and uh, Mark, he's not with us anymore, he died a while ago, but he. I thought, Mark, don't hit the bloody. Oh, fuck, that was close, but he's all right. Wow. It was okay. It all worked out, but yeah, um, that's about it. And I'm still alive, yeah. I think. <laughs> pinch, pinch. <laughs> well, uh, tell me about um, the Red Arrows. What 
position were you flying with? And okay, um, I started off at five position during training. I was five position, but then the leader of the, the number two of the synchro pair, he hit the ground oh. doing the workup in Cyprus. This was 1984, uh, early 84. So we were out in Cyprus doing the workup, but he let the third cross of the opposition loop out a bit too much in the vertical and he hit the ground for this hawk. But he's still a great mate of mine. I play golf with him. <laughs> he hit the ground, the seat fired, he didn't pull the handle and he went up, halfway up before it stuck. The, the, the cartridge fired but the, the, the rockets didn't fire and it dragged him off the seat in his chute, and he hit the ground at about 89. He hit the ground with the aircraft at 260, 280 knots, yeah. and then bounced a couple of times, and then got dragged off the seat. He never pulled the handle. Wow. And he, he was, he's built like a brick shit house, so he, 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 um, he survived. But he couldn't, they didn't want him to go flying again, so I took over his slot as number two for the synchro pair my first year. And then I led the synchro pair in the second year, and that was 84 and then 85. Okay. And went to Cathay at the end of 85, 86 basically, 86, yeah. So um, there, there's been a few Kiwis in the, yep. the Reds uh, over the years. Ray Hanna, number one, yep. and then Ian Dick, and myself, and then there's a whole bunch more who've come through, oh, a couple of ex-A4 Skyhawk guys. Oh yes, of course, um, Boomer yeah. Keith. And, yep, Boomer, um, yes, he's there. Um, I can't remember them all. Yeah, one that got killed as well in the seventies as a Kiwi got killed. Yeah, um, not in the arrows though. Yeah, it was. Oh, okay, that yeah. was the mid-air. Oh, right, yes, mid-air collision of the. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, that's it. The uh, yeah, it was the carousel, and they had, it was the Nat days, and they had two in each aircraft, and yes. they all four of them got. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah they had the... Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. They had the passengers on board, that's right. Yeah, they had... To, well, they had other team members, I think, as well. Yeah. And they hit somewhere in the carousel. I can't remember the full details yeah. of that. In fact, we've just... Yesterday, I lost um, a guy who was sort of in on the NAT, flying on the team at that stage, oh, who okay. he passed away, he had brain brain tumour at 83. Roy Somerville. But he's not a Kiwi. He lives in Queenstown, but he's not a Kiwi. Oh, he, right. wasn't, he wasn't a Kiwi then. Yeah. Oh, sorry to hear that. No, well, he's uh, yeah. we're all getting to that age where we live with uh, people passing and dying. Yeah, yeah. And um, no, it was great. Great days. Those were fantastic. The rule book was the rule book was about that thin. There was, and that was. <laughs> that was nowadays the rule book, as it, as Karen knows, the rule book's about that bloody yeah. thing. So we would have been, there was no, basically if you're in a red jet, you could do anything you like. Okay. As long as you didn't screw up. Yeah. That was the only thing where the year before, one of the guys had hit a high tension cable in Scotland and taken the power out to most of northern Scotland. He'd saved the jet and his back seat had jumped out. But um, yeah. no one, no one, no one died. But... Uh, because we were, he was just messing around, and these high tension cables uh, didn't didn't plan on seeing them, right. and he, he cut it totally with the tail. Wow. Well, I think it hit the nose, went up over the canopy, and then, but he, he recovered the jet. Man, that's actually amazing to get the aircraft down. After yeah, one of those. he was right up North Scotland there, uh, down in Loch Lomond, and he took it into. Um, uh, Inverness Airport. Okay. He did a great job, but he relit the engine. Yeah. Okay. But there were bits of no hydraulics left. There was nothing left of. But he put it on the ground. Okay, he managed to relight the engine. And then, yeah, we're, there's been a few, a few accidents. Mm -hmm. but, mm. yeah. One thing that I did read when I was looking things up was that you were the first pilot in the RAF to shoot yourself down. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered when that was going to come yeah. up. <laughs> well, it wasn't the first. No. no I was thinking you can't have been the no, first. I did read that, no, but no, surely it's happened before. No, there's lots of straight. 
if you if you want if you look at uh, this whole lot of YouTube clips, you can see in Tracer when air to ground gunnery ranges, and you yeah. see the bullets going everywhere. Yes. And it's a ten to the minus three or ten ten to the minus three or something like that chance of being taken out by your own tracer, by your own bullet ricochet. It was just a it was a thirty. Just from one squadron, it was out of there, over to the range at Hull Beach, and we'd been strafing strafe panels with 30 miller ball ammunition, not HE or armor piercing, just ball. And the trouble with ball ammunition, it poof, ricochets, and I'd fired a burst, and um, and as I pulled off the target, a thing came up and hit me, okay. and took the engine one blade out like just like that, and then the whole aircraft, which is blades disintegrating, and the aircraft just yawing. We only had one handle, went for the bottom handle, and into the chute, uh, very cool, beautiful right, on Baker Mark V, I think it was, I can't remember. And um, in the chute, the best thing I saw was this Harrier with about 100 foot of white flame out of the back of it, just arcing through the sky. Because I thought, oh, I made the right decision then, because <laughs> the last thing you want to see is it flying up there and you've left it. And, it, so. and they actually got the, because you could, you got your ass kicked if you're inside 600 yards for um, minimum range for, the, for that problem of ricochets and stuff. Uh, and 550 was a really bad boy. But mine, they got my gun camera film out of the gun site, and they de they developed it, and it was 610 yards or something. So I wasn't close, so I didn't get a bollocking or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. Okay. I was back in the aircraft three days later. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow. My back was fine. Rocket seat, no problem with my rocket seat. Okay. And. Uh, the border inquiry lasted about a week, and they said, "Yeah, that's one of those things." Yeah, and very good. Yeah, I wouldn't want to repeat it, but no. a lot of we lost a lot of Harriers. I mean, the Lightnings was pretty huge attrition on the Lightnings, but I think for the number built, Harrier would be close to the Lightning, and the other one was a Jaguar as well. They lost a hell of a lot of Jaguars. Yeah. Um, well, they had. They built a hell of a lot of them, but they uh, they lost a lot of those as well in the early days. Mainly, I think, just hitting the ground. You know, yeah. it wasn't it was great in a straight line the Jaguar, but it didn't turn corners very well. Oh, right. okay. mm. And also in the aircraft, guys getting fixated on the inertial system in there, where they're rushing around at 500 knots at low level, and they just you know were pulling up into cloud and losing their. Yeah. I mean, Craig, oh, last year went up to um, the National Arboretum at Stafford. Yeah. Um, huge. And there's walls of, since World War II, this wall is just full of the conflicts that we've gone through. Mm -hmm. Forget World War One, World War II. And we looked at the years we've been flying, jets and the RAF, and there were six of us guys, all flowing fast jets from Jaguars, Harriers, Buccaneers, Phantoms. And together we've counted 60 guys that have died in peacetime. Wow. 60. 60 guys. We went through the years, a lot of our instructors, um, guys on the Red Arrows, uh, guys at Harriers, from mid-air collisions to training thing, I mean, all training stuff, but there were 60 guys. Yeah. A lot of them we knew jointly, of course, but yeah. Yeah. And it's just... just Huge attrition, really. Absolutely. But that's what training in a, a peacetime, I think the war, some stats on it, you know, 30% is, uh, you get, 30% of it is peacetime training. Mm. Yep. Something like that. The, 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 the fatalities. Yes, huge number. Yep. Huge number. Wow, that's kind of quite staggering. I, I, I know that um, earlier, sort of 1950s time, they lost a hell of a lot of meteors, I think it was like oh, yeah. 500 or something. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And they didn't have a seat in it then. No. I think. And then they got the seat in it, which made it 
but and the vampire had a seat in it as well, didn't it? But, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just peacetime. But they had a lot of they had a lot of medias. They built a hell of a lot of them yeah. as well. Yeah. I guess you'd have to keep building them and keep them. Yeah, well, sabers as well. Sabers and the super sabers. Mm, yep. And then the hunter came in. Pretty good aircraft, the hunter. It was a great aircraft. It was, um, yeah, <sighs> crazy. Peacetime, attrition, 30%. Or something, you know, some sort of stats like that. Yeah. Did you have a favourite of the types that you flew? Oh, the Harrier for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the Hawk was, the Hawk was just a training aircraft, yeah. tandem trainer, but it was superb as well. Yeah. And after that, of course, jumbo Boeing's four-engine Boeing. Yeah. If it ain't, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. <laughs> and he still knows that. <laughs> Which is absolutely correct. Yeah. So um, now, 40 years or 41 years after the Falklands War, do you think you guys are remembered for that pretty well? Or is it, is it actually getting more recognition now as it goes along? Or um, I think we had a 25... I think the RAF will do 25 years and 45 years or something like that, I think. The 25-year anniversary was... It was something in London, quite, quite a big thing in London. Okay. But uh, nothing for 40 years, because we had that last year, yeah. 40 years, uh, 72. They didn't, didn't, we had our own piss-up somewhere. We okay. organised our own pub. I think maybe in 45 years there might be something. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the Navy probably do a lot more than we do. We'll wait and see what happens at, after 45 years, whether the RAF do anything or... We just thought they might have a piss up in a pub or something like that, throw some beer on, but no, nothing. But Al, the Pete Squire, who was the squadron boss, he he died, he had a heart attack in the kitchen, the kitchen, would you believe? Wow. Fell over one day at the age of 71, 72. No one could believe it. And um, he would have, he was chief of air staff as well, in, in just before that. So uh, he were, he would have probably organised something a bit more, but no, not, not you know, as long as we got our mates and we go and have a few beers together, we're quite happy. I think yeah. that's uh, the way we all feel about it. And um, yeah, hopefully we all make post forty-five. Right? So a few of the guys that are in their late seventies now. So uh, fingers crossed. Gosh, it seems really quite. It's almost staggering that. The Falklands veterans are getting to that age. It doesn't seem yeah. that long since the World War Two guys were that age. I know, you know? I know. Well, there you go. And that'll be the next thing. And then you've got the other skirmishes in Bosnia and uh, and this bloody Iraq thing. Mm. Yeah. I still, I'm my only political statement. They should do get Tony Blair for misleading Parliament as well yes. with the the uh, and and the head of. Um, intelligence agency there were there were no weapons of mass destruction yeah. and it was just he misled parliament on numerous occasions and got away with it yeah. and what, what did Boris say I had oh, he bullshitted as well can't, you can't get away with anything now they no. all know no. especially in the aircraft knows exactly what you're doing wherever you're doing and you can see it real time is that right yeah yeah, yeah. Or we had a flight data recorder in the back, and the G meter there, and you could, if it went to on the Hawk especially, I used to push too many minuses. And minus two and a half was a on the negative side, and it sometimes it would click through three, and I don't. Just, <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. The engineer would come over, and I'd say, and then you pushed a little bit more. And he said, "Oh, as long as it's not more than three and a half, you're all right." He said, "I said, oh, go on." <laughs> Positive was all right, but you know that was six or seven, seven G. It was fine up to seven G. The whole yeah. uh, the negative wasn't good. I don't think it wasn't good for me either. No, no. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, the only other question that came to mind is um, one of the key commanders in the Falkland War, Falklands War, was um, 
another New Zealander, which uh, was Sir Kenneth Hare. I wonder yep. if you knew him. I knew Ken him. very well. Yeah. He was uh, he was OC, whatever the group was in those 12. days. Twelve group yeah. in charge of Chivney. He gave me my Falklands medal. I oh, right. got a picture somewhere of that. Um, Ken Hare, lovely, lovely guy. He was also a Harrier One Squadron boss, yeah. and he was um, uh, he was excellent. I knew him personally, really nice guy, and he had the he ran out of luck on the inside of a of a he was in a vampire or a venom on the inside of a um, meteor, and he got flicked in with it. Well, and I debated whether he should be in there, but uh, but they have big vortices coming off wingtips of a meteor, and he got just flicked in with it. Yeah. Couldn't stop it. Such a shame. Oh, terrible loss that was. Yeah. And he was flying the Hunter in New Zealand with um, Dave Phillips. Dave Phillips, yeah. of course. He and yeah, so he he flew that when he got back home as well. Yeah, he was one of the first. Um, Yak 52 pilots in New Zealand and started mm. the team, which is oh, the teams now still going, but a yeah, yeah. whole different cast of members. Oh, well. yeah. Um, and the other thing is, he actually had a vampire uh, that he was just about to get flying in New Zealand yeah, really. when, he, when he was killed. And, yeah. yeah. That's still sitting in a hangar there, but uh, hasn't flown. Um, How's the, um, the next um, Mosquito? Oh, yeah. That's, is the next one. It's, uh, yeah. The he's doing number four or number number, th number four and number five. And number five. At the moment. But number four should be flying hopefully by the next Warbit over Wanaka in April next year. Great. And is one coming to the Battle of Britain Memorial flight? Uh, no, it's going to Biggin Hill, um, uh, Peter Monk's outfit there. Oh, right. So it's not going to be part of the BMM? Of no, it'll be a, a privately owned. And but he's going to fly it. And yeah. he'll be selling rides in it. Yeah. Which is something yeah. interesting. Something interesting, okay. But, um, yeah, it's a shame. Because the jigs for the mosquito came out of the RF Museum about 20 years ago. And they said, oh, yeah, you can have them. And they should have said to him, but we want the third or fourth one. Because you've got the jigs now, which is so important. And all the blueprints and everything they got for bugger all. Well, the, the actual the moulds for the um, fuselage they were all hand built by Glenn Powell. But um, I thought, well, maybe it was maybe it was the blueprints. A lot of the yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think he got the blueprints. blueprints. That, yeah. So he should have said, "We're giving you that, but let's have a deal on yeah. the fourth one or something like that." Yeah. Incredible. I still yeah. haven't seen it flying because no, I did I did it with the BBMF when we but we lost that a long time ago. Right, yeah, I don't know when we lost that. Yeah. How long ago did we lose that? Nineteen ninety six, and that was a screw up, was it? Lost height. Attempted to do a wing over above the limit and lost power to power in the engine. Yeah, and got the drop the nose too low rather than yeah. just rolling out. Mm. Yeah, be interesting to see that flying again. It'd be mm. superb. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's. I mean, that still flying would should be still flying. <laughs> Way beyond its time, yeah. a lot of that stuff. I mean, it was such a. If you look at the Hunter that came along later, the Hunter had four Aiden cannons. There were four. I think there were four cannons in the, uh, or maybe I don't know. In the Mosquito, wasn't it? There were four, four cannons, cannons and four machine guns. Four machine the, guns. In the, in the FB6. And wasn't quite as fast, but for close air support mission or something like that, you couldn't beat the. Uh, I, I honestly think the Mosquito would still be an effective. Yeah, yeah. Today, oh, know, absolutely you, correct. That'd be great. I, I reckon we should re-equip our air force with that. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. There's so many. And what was the uh, the um, Sea Fury? Was it the Sea Fury or what? That should have stayed in service for a long time mm. as well. Way, way beyond that. Yeah. Because did New Zealand Air Force have those? No. They had the. No, they had the. Corsairs. Corsair, the Corsair. Yeah. They had the, the Corsair, yeah. That's right. Corsair. Yeah. yeah. I haven't, I would have liked to have flown that because Peter Jackson's got one of those, hasn't he? Is that his Corsair in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. that's for sale, right? Is that? Uh, five, five million or more, is it? Something like that, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of money. It'll go to America, won't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, it hasn't sold yet, so who knows? Well, but 
Big Probably. beast. Big beast. Absolutely. Oh. Fantastic aircraft. Yeah. Massive beast. I mean, you, you walk into a hangar that and you know, my God. Yeah. It's, it's a big climb just to get up into the cockpit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, thanks very much for taking the time to do this. It's ah, pleasure, mate. Bloody brilliant. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.